When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. This is James Crepe, Oregon Ducks beat reporter for the Oregonian and Oregon Live, bringing you this first edition of Ducks Confidential. We're going to go over the weekend that was in Oregon sports, certainly uh, some very nice results for the Oregon women's basketball team, a disappointing loss for the Oregon men's team in Corvallis, and a 5-0 and start to the season for Oregon softball. But we start with women's basketball, which had a pair of wins over Arizona and Arizona State on Friday and Sunday. Two lopsided wins of over 30 points apiece, really just from pillar to post, nearly wire to wire with the exception of maybe an opening basket. Total domination by the number three Oregon women who will probably move up a spot in the AP poll this week ahead against both Arizona and Arizona State and really continuing a trend of the whole week if you go back to the UConn game on Monday night. But starting with Friday's game against Arizona, that was a game where you have a really talented player in Aaron McDonald come in, and this was a, a trend that continued throughout the week, so we'll discuss this a little bit further. But starting with McDonald, she came in, and Oregon knew that they had to contain her, uh, that she was going to be a major focus uh, of Arizona's offense. And they did a tremendous job at containing Aaron McDonald throughout that game. That was a huge part of it. She got seven of her points in the fourth quarter. The game was already well in hand. Uh, and she is somebody who had scored in double figures in every game of her career. Now, she did by the end of the night. She got to 13 points. But again, seven of them came late to where they were truly meaningless. The game was already completely in hand at that point. And that was, if you want to disrupt Arizona, you have to be able to take away Aaron McDonald. Now look, Kate Reese got to 17, and she had a solid pre, you know, performance. But ultimately, it was containing McDonald, holding her to 5 of 13 from the field, 0 of 4 from 3. That's how you disrupt the Arizona offense, and Oregon went out there with the intent of doing that and, and did that very, very effectively. Uh, now, that was a really physical game on Friday night from the start. Uh, Arizona was intent on making it that way, and that was the trend of the weekend with both Arizona schools uh, for Oregon. But it was more out of character for Arizona compared to Arizona State, where you know from the jump that that's going to be more or less a hockey game, uh, quite honestly, the way that was played. The Arizona game Friday night, that was really physical. Uh, very much so. Arizona was playing extraordinarily aggressive, committing fouls, a pretty high number of fouls, 18 by the end of the time it was all said and done. But it was played very, very aggressively. There were fouls in the backcourt. There were fouls where Oregon's nowhere near the basket. 
Uh, and it was really just trying to set a tone. And, and on one hand, you can certainly understand that, uh, as that's one of the few ways anybody's been able to disrupt Oregon or beat Oregon this season, uh, was Louisville uh, in a neutral site game uh, in the Paradise Jam back in November, or Arizona State on the road, where yes, it was late, and yes, Oregon had a lead, but physical play played a big part in that turnaround for Arizona State. Well, Arizona tried to tried to copy that as best they could. Clearly, the results were not there by the time it was all said and done. Now, that said, 18-10, Oregon after the first quarter. It was the second quarter where they really started to show a big separation there. That's where they pulled away. That's where they really, really clamped out. Offensively, things worked very, very nicely for Oregon. Uh, the second quarter in particular, opened things up. And then in the third, the third quarter's at numerous games this season. Oregon really put its foot down, a 33-16 to third quarter against Arizona. And at that point, the game is completely in hand. There is no way uh, that Arizona is going to come back. And the fourth quarter, it's it's a moot point. The fact, again, that, that McDonald gets 7 over 13 at that point or that Arizona wins the quarter by one uh, is completely moot. It doesn't matter anymore. Oregon had its way. It completely and utterly dominated the game, out-rebounded, uh, forced more turnovers, scored off of those turnovers, and commanded the game. 13 second-chance points to none for Arizona. Now, they're not a particularly strong rebounding team in the first place, but just two offensive boards for Arizona at all, and they came late, and they didn't lead to anything. That's a huge, huge performance uh, statistic. Ruthie Hebert had a huge night with 22 points and led the way for uh, what was four players in double figures between her. Sabrina Ionescu gets triple-double number 24 in her career with 15, 11 rebounds, and 10 assists. She talked about afterwards how that uh, symbolically certainly carried meaning for her and number 24 and uh, the late Kobe Bryant and his influence on her and uh, that she would be receiving a message at that point after the game but uh, would be doing so in another way and, and whatnot. Fast forward to Sunday. And another uh, performance where, look, this was one where this was a game that was circled ever since the loss in Tempe, which was a bad loss at the time. It was. It looks far better now than it did at that time. At that time, Arizona State was not ranked. At that time, Arizona State was, I believe it was 52 in RPI early in Pac-12 play. It was a very difficult loss to understand. Now, it looked a little bit better by the end of that weekend because Arizona State completed the sweep of the Oregon schools that weekend. It looks better in retrospect a month or so later where Arizona State has obviously still remained ranked. They may not be by the time (laughs) the polls come out on Monday. Uh, But nevertheless, it looks better now than it did then. However, that's the end result. The fact that Oregon blew a 12-point lead, didn't play well down the stretch, didn't execute, uh, and had really, by Kelly Kelly Graves' own admission, bad coaching, by some of the players' admission, uh, just bad execution. They they own it. Uh, they did not play well down the stretch in that loss. They were out to avenge themselves uh, and to get some revenge against Arizona State because they felt they were the better team. They wanted to show that they were the better team, and they didn't feel that the collapse that they incurred in Tempe was indicative of who they are and who Arizona State is by the time it's all said and done. All right, well, again, the trend of containing some of the best players that – Oregon has played 
particularly this week. It's gone on at other points as well, but sticking with just how this team has played this week specifically, you go back to the UConn game, and Megan Walker was almost totally ineffective uh, for UConn in that game. One of the best players in the country held to single figures. You go to Arizona, and Ari McDonald scores 13, but seven of them are so late that they're completely meaningless. Well, here against Arizona State, Robbie Ryan, one of the better players for Arizona State, averages 11 a game. They play a lot of players, so nobody's going to have that commanding a stat line necessarily. But Robbie Ryan scores three points on one of eight shooting, um, one three-pointer late in the game where the game is already well in hand. This team, one of the biggest adjustments Oregon has made this season has been on the defensive end. The overall statistics are better. But what's also impressive is that they have gone out and been able to do a very good job against some of the best individual players of the opposition. And there's something to be said for that. It's always part of everybody's game plan. Everybody wants to take away the best player. I'm sure every team who plays Oregon wants to try and take away Ruthie and Sabrina and at least bottle up the connection between the two of them, mess with the pick and rolls, etc. Some are effective at it, some are not. And even if you do that, obviously Oregon still has the firepower when their shooters are hitting as they were on Sunday, to be able to play the game a different way. So Oregon's defense manages to contain and disrupt the offense of Arizona State. And Arizona State's defense does not do any containing really outside of the first quarter against Oregon. That first quarter was brutal basketball to watch, a 10-2 quarter, but again, it was played very much like a hockey game. Arizona State subs that way in the first place, but Arizona State uh, fouls and plays a very, very physical style of basketball, uh, which at times is not very appealing to watch, quite honestly. But it works for them, and clearly it can get teams off of their game when they play them. What allowed Oregon to pull away in a big way, a little bit by the time it's halftime, but especially, again, third quarter, 30-15 to in the third quarter, how and why that was able to happen was because you have three-point shooting from Aaron Bowley going four of six from three and Jazz Shelley going four of four from three. That's enormous. For Oregon to go 13 of 25 from three-point range, that's crazy. You shoot over 50% from three-point range. They shot better from three than they did from two. That's hard to do. That's hard to believe. And they did pretty well from two as well. They went 14 to 30. So it just shows that this team is capable of playing and winning in different styles. And early in the weekend, it's pounding the ball inside with Ruthie Hebert. And yes, Sabrina and the assists and distribution. But on Sunday, it's the outsides. It's the wings with Aaron Boley, Jazz Shelley leading the way from a three-point shooting perspective. Sabrina, not far off in that regard, ends up with 19 points, seven rebounds, and five assists. Satu Sabali adding a double-double with 11 and 10. And Ruthie has, by her standards, a quiet, somewhat quiet night with 11 and 5. And overwhelmingly, it has to come in the second half because she got in some foul trouble. But the big story of the night overall is the defensive performance for Oregon against Arizona State. Again, nobody in double figures for ASU. Robbie Ryan just scores three points. And on a physically imposing kind of style of play you get five players in double figures and three point shooting on offense and a defense that allows ASU to shoot just 39.5 on the game 30.8 from three just four of 13 
And look, part of it is self-inflicted for ASU as well. They went 10 of 21 at the free throw line in the game. Now, even if you give them the 11, they're still going to lose by 20 points. But it just speaks to exactly how imposing uh, Oregon can be in every facet of the game. And the Oregon women improve to 11-1 in league play. They are in sole possession of first place in league play. And like I say, I would expect for them to move up a spot in the polls this week. And it certainly sets up nicely for them where, again, they still have another ranked opponent coming up with UCLA. But at this point, Oregon is in command in the Pac-12. Uh, the road is in front of them where obviously they control their own destiny. That goes without saying. Stanford is uh, also still remaining on the schedule. But at this point, Oregon is very much in the driver's seat to win another Pac-12 regular season championship. And you've got the middle of the league right now in Arizona State, Oregon State, and Arizona all kind of flailing where and winning and losing and trading wins and losses right now in a competitive you know, second tier of that league. But Oregon and Stanford and UCLA are the teams that are going to be fighting for the league title at this point. And Oregon has has the wins. Now, they still have to play UCLA again on, on Thursday. We'll see how that one goes. Or, excuse me, on Friday. But nevertheless, a very strong weekend for the Oregon women. To the Oregon men. And this was a tough one for the Ducks. And that, obviously, starting first and foremost, it's a rivalry game. So, by definition... It's going to be a tough one. This was so much of a repeat performance from the previous Saturday, and that's where the frustration has to lie for what was the number 14 team in the country and was projected as a four seed in the early NCAA tournament uh, brackets of the uh, top 16 seeds unveiled by the selection committee earlier on Saturday. Well, they clearly will not be uh, if it had to be drawn up again this week. Now, doesn't mean that they won't be necessarily going forward. Long way to go. But this was a tough loss for Oregon to incur on the road at Oregon State. In general, but especially the way it played out. The Ducks were going to go in under man in the first place. And Fali Dante is still hurt. Francis Okoro was home in Nigeria for the funeral for his father. In the course of the game, Will Richardson momentarily banged up. Very momentarily. It was not yeah, barely a couple minutes. Uh, in the grand scheme of things. Did it affect him a lot? Exactly. It was also a little bit unclear exactly what it was. It looked like a hand injury, but I couldn't totally make it out. Ultimately, he scores five points. He gets an assist. He had three turnovers. Certainly not a great performance by Will Richardson, but hard to really necessarily make the excuse that it was injury-related. Just, you know, not a great game by any stretch. It wouldn't one terrible or anything. You know, one to three assist to turnover ratio is not great for a uh, point guard. But it was not a particularly strong night uh, in a lot of ways by way of the turnovers for Oregon. The bigger one and more substantive injury, though, was to Chandler Lawson, who it looked like a right knee twist, tweak, something, where he went up uh, for a layup and was fouled early in the second half, came down awkwardly. At first it looked like his back, but ultimately he got treated for uh, the trainers were treating his right knee. He was pretty much ineffective from there on out for the rest of the game. Well, I don't care who you are, and I don't care what bigs you have on your team, whether you have uh, just an unbelievable volume of seven-footers or if you're a slightly smaller team but just somewhat short in the front court uh, as Oregon is in the first place. Hey, tell me a team out there that can lose 
two bigs to begin with, and then a third incurs an injury. Tell me how they're going to have success. It's going to be hard. That doesn't make any excuse because here's the thing. What was a repeat from the previous week was Oregon didn't shoot well against Stanford at all, put forth a brutal performance, in particular in the second half shooting against Stanford. Couldn't make a bucket for what felt like forever and loses there and gave up in the paint in a huge way where Stanford just absolutely abused Oregon in the paint and scored so many points and obviously also dominated the glass by 12 in the second half of that game a week ago. And Stanford gets that win. Well, here you go with another road game where they were short in the front court to begin with and it got worse. And the rebounding ended up with an even split. But Oregon still lost in the paint 34-28, not as decisively as Stanford, but loses in the paint and doesn't shoot well in the second half. Collectively, but especially from three-point range, just two of 11 from three in the second half. There are no, there's almost no team out there that is going to win going 2 of 11 from 3 in a half. Just not going to work, especially on the road. Now, Peyton Pritchard still ends up with 16 points and 9 assists. And Duarte got to 11 points and actually had a solid shooting night and then he went 5 of 10 and got 4 rebounds. But as a whole, what's concerning for Oregon going forward here is The last two games, and it's back-to-back losses, which is obviously never good. Uh, But earlier in the season when they suffered back-to-back losses uh, in the Bahamas at the Battle for Atlantis, that's in a sequence of games for one. Two, Gonzaga was one of the opponents, and a healthy North Carolina team was the other. Here, it's losing to Stanford, who, okay, looked better a week ago. Maybe not as much today but still a solid team, certainly a team that looks like it's going to go to the NCAA tournament. And an Oregon State team who came in ranked 82 in net in search of and in need of more signature and quality wins to overcome some very tough losses. Now, on paper for Oregon, this ends up as a a quadrant one loss. And for those who don't have the total background on quad one, two, three, four, a couple of years ago, the NCAA changed the evaluation of at the time it was using RPI, now it's using the net rankings, but trying to categorize the caliber of wins and losses for each team. They're now broken up into quadrants based on what is now the net rankings of if you're at home, it's a certain range, neutral site, a slightly bigger range, and on the road, an even bigger range to cover all the teams in America. Well, Oregon gets bumped down a few pegs because of the loss, obviously. They're still doing fine. They're still okay. But the trend is certainly not good. But on paper, they're still all right now. They're going to end up right now, like I say, would they be a uh, number four seed uh, as they were entering Saturday? No, they would not. Uh, I'm not sure if they would necessarily be a five seed, quite frankly, after that loss. But be that as it may, there are some who I understand out there want to overreact and say, oh, come on, they, not only are they not a four seed, let's bump them all the way down to 10 or 11. All right, that's that's a bit of a stretch. Uh, I understand there's cause for concern at the moment, but they're not a 10 or 11 seed. However, they get bumped down uh, as a result of a loss to Oregon State, who gets such a bump up from 82 to what was 68 uh, overnight 
that's a huge bump for Oregon State and credit to them, but we'll leave it to others to speak about the Beavers. Point is, is Oregon incurred a second loss with so many of the similar issues that plagued them a week earlier. And it's how do they go about fixing it? How do they go about shooting better? All right, sometimes you're going to have rough shooting nights. That's part of it. That, that's, that's life. That's playing basketball. And frankly, again, Peyton Pritchard, the fact that he goes one of eight from three, while certainly not good, hey, some of it was he had no choice at times in that game. He had to take over at certain times because the offense was not working really in any facet uh, at, at certain pockets in that second half. They went over, they had a one for 12 stretch where they missed 10 straight shots. Something had to go. Sooner or later, you've got to just start doing just about anything. So I can't necessarily fault Peyton in any way uh, for some of the poor shooting that he had unnecessarily. And again, like he's quick to point out both before the weekend and talking about the Stanford game or after the loss at Oregon State. It's not like these players are going out there looking to miss shots. They want the shots to go in. But why is it that they're not shooting as well as a team right now? If he had the answer, uh, they would be making the shots. So that's a concern. But to the bigger issue of as a whole, because you're going to have nights where you shoot a lot better and then you, know, you run teams off the floor too. There's a mix. I realize the last week it's looked very much the same, but you know, sooner or later... Uh, you hope that equilibrium uh, plays out, and then you know you have a night where Oregon plays really, really well, and uh, statistically it looks a lot better. But the bigger concern is defensively right now for Oregon to allow Oregon State to shoot 54.5% in the second half, 12 of 22 from the field. And that, you, I don't care, again, who you play, you're not going to win. You allow an opponent to shoot 12 of 22 and a half, and go to the free throw line where they meant 9 of 10 as well. And win the rebounding battle in the second half. 17-14. Okay, even for the game, but 17-14 and a half. You allow all those things. And 10 of the 12 made baskets for Oregon State were assisted. Yeah, and credit to the Beavers for a lot of these things. But if you allow an opponent to do all of those things in the course of a half, I don't care who you're playing, you're going to lose. So Oregon's defense has got to pick up. They know it. They've talked about Dana Altman has drilled on this for weeks now. And that's part of his frustration after that game is saying, hey, we've not made the progress. This isn't working. And he puts the fault on himself, and there's something to be said for that. Because this team has not made the progress. On the defensive side in particular, they've regressed. you got to call it what it is. And will getting some bodies back on the inside help? Absolutely. You hope that Chandler Lawson... Whatever the right knee issue was on Saturday, you hope that with several days that he'll be able to uh, recover and get back to normal. You hope that Francis Okora comes back from Nigeria, uh, one, uh, in a better uh, mental place uh, in what has been a very, very tough uh, couple of months for him and losing his father. Uh, but you hope that in going home and being with family at that time, uh, that that has helped him mentally uh, deal with a very very difficult situation and that and Folly Dante gets back on the court sooner rather than later. Uh, Dana Altman is not one to lay out a timeline necessarily in the first place, but this has now been an injury that has stretched several weeks and you hope that Dante does get back at some point and be a productive player for this team because when fully healthy and when all these uh, pieces are together, this is one of the more effective teams in the country. 
They were starting to work out a rotation, but they've never really ironed out everything totally because at one point or another, even when they got fully healthy, they weren't fully healthy for very long, unfortunately. And that's tough for this team where they still have to work out a lot of kinks, and right now they're undermanned while doing it. That's not great. So, again, Oregon men's basketball having a rough, rough week plus here, and they have to hope that they can get back on the right track. Now, they have five of their last seven games are at home. That's big. That should help. But being at home alone is not going to be the determining factor here. They've got to figure out things on the defensive end. They've got to improve on the interior. And all right, yeah, do they have to shoot better? Sure. But they shot 40% for the game. And as bad as the second half was, and it was not good, you can still win a game going 22 of 55 from the field. Now, scoring 53 points as a whole is not great, and they didn't get to the line pretty much at all. But you can still win shooting 40% overall. Too much of that game was dictated in terms of tempo by Oregon State. Too much of that game was an absence of any kind of uh, post presence on either end, but especially on the defensive side. Where again, Oregon State just had its way, and credit to them in a huge way. But Oregon had these issues a week earlier and did basically looked like a team that didn't address any of the issues from their previous game. And that is certainly not a positive trend to see uh, for a team that, again, is still going to be ranked. They're not going to fall out of the top 25 after this. But they're going to fall. And if, a tre- if the trend continues any further, they won't be ranked for very much longer. It won't just be a matter of not a top four seed. They won't be a top 25 team. Now, they still look like they're very much projected to head on to the tournament and do well. But this was a team that, again, could have very much been in position to be at the top of the Pac-12 standings and right now instead is looking for answers. Not a great place to be for Oregon men's basketball at this point. And lastly, to softball, which started its weekend with a nice 5-0 start at the Puerto Vallarta Challenge. Uh, the... Oregon softball team, now I'm not going to go through every game because there's five games for one and two. Uh, Several of them are really, really lopsided uh, and commanding kind of games. It ends Sunday with a 4-1 win over Long Beach State, which was the most meaningful of the five games. And because Long Beach State is a a more competitive team and more competitive program, traditionally speaking, so that's a game that could certainly come in handy and a win that could come in handy down the road uh, for the Ducks as they go through year two uh, under Melissa Lombardi. The big things for the weekend for Oregon softball are, pitching-wise, they had 52 strikeouts to only three walks over 32 innings in the five games. The strikeout number is always going to be a little bit distorted in some of these uh, tournament settings based on some of the opponents. The three walks is not. Because if they didn't have command, it wouldn't matter who they're playing. If you don't have command, you're going to be walking the ballpark. Three walks is huge. The 52 strikeouts is a nice number, but the three walks is the much bigger and more important number. Just a .44 ERA overall and 13 hits allowed, 123 batting average against. Those are all strong numbers. Again, some of the opponents were massively overmatched. That goes without saying. But even with Long Beach State, Oregon softball did quite well. Only giving up four hits, one run on four hits uh, in that game. Strong performance all around. Pitching-wise, 
The addition of Brooke Yanez is going to be one of the big stories of this season for Oregon softball. She was a second-team All-American at UC Davis last season. She clearly is going to be a major, major weapon for this team, who, as we all know, a year ago was, I wouldn't even say uh, undermanned or lacking depth in the pitching circle. It was a one-woman show for Jordan Dale, and she had to go through just a brutal, brutal, not second and a half, almost two-thirds of the season being the only arm uh, to go for the Ducks. Well, that's not going to continue. <laughs> Brooke Yanez goes 3-0 and on the weekend with a .5 ERA, 25 strikeouts over 14 innings. Dale didn't allow a run over 12 innings, and she struck out 15. She gets a win and a save. Frankly, it was kind of a weird statistic, a uh, statistical quirk in that one of Yanez's wins uh, came in a, the first game of the season when Dale started. It just comes down to the pitcher of record at the time, in a lot of ways, Dale probably deserved the win, but just by statistically the way it has to go, Yanez goes 3-0, and Dale gets a win and a save. And offensively, the two big uh, standouts to me were Tara McGowan, who again, remember, she is the player who transferred from Arizona State last year and was seeking the uh, waiver of the year in residency requirement, which is standard practice, and Arizona State would not grant it, so she had to sit out last year. Well, not only does Oregon have its catcher uh, going forward, it has a major, major bat in the lineup. And again, you don't want to overreact and only go by this opening weekend because this is a team that hitting-wise is talented enough to take advantage of very overmatched pitchers as a whole that they played this weekend. But McGowan goes 8 of 19 with three doubles and a grand slam home run. So four of her eight hits were for extra bases and 10 RBIs on those eight hits because, again, one was a grand slam. So even with that, six RBIs over seven other hits. That's enormous. And three runs scored because, again, extra bases and the grand slam home run. Haley Cruz also has a pretty strong weekend, goes 7-15, seven runs scored, and a 579 on base percentage, three of three with stolen bases. She was named MVP of the session that the Ducks were in uh, at the Puerto Vallarta Challenge. And again, Oregon goes 5-0 and in the opening weekend where, yes, there was some overmatched competition in there, but a low-scoring game with Nevada where the bats weren't totally there. And then in the most meaningful game on Sunday with Long Beach State, an opponent who can be a postseason team has certainly been so over the course of their history. Um, and particular most recently you go back the last decade I think Long Beach State has made eight or nine of the last 10 NCAA tournaments so a win that could certainly come in handy come selection time and tournament time for the Ducks a fine opening weekend for Oregon softball that is the summation of Oregon sports for this opening podcast here on Ducks Confidential we will certainly look forward to going over and setting up for you later in the week games for both Oregon men's and women's basketball, and yes, the next round for softball. Baseball opens its season as well this week. We'll chat about that later on. All that and more coming up each and every week here on Ducks Confidential.